We are beginning a new series tonight called Thicker Than Blood. Joe, if you want to throw up the logo. In October, back this fall, we went through a series, a pretty heavy one, called LGBTQ Plus and the Church. And you all, during a panel session, asked some really, really, really good questions. And a lot of them we got to, and we answered them that night, or we began answering them that night. But there were a few that we felt were so perceptive and penetrating and weighty that we felt like we needed to wait before diving into those and to come back to them with a series. And so what we told you is that early on in January or February of 2022, we would begin a series where we began to wrestle with some of those questions. This is that series. Thicker Than Blood is is the series following up with those questions. But I want to be clear. This is not an LGBTQ plus series. This is not LGBTQ plus part two. The series is not going to focus on exclusively LGBTQ plus or any other experience found in the church. And the reason is because your all's questions during that panel, whether you were aware of it or not, were far, far more reaching than you realized. They touched on, yes, the experiences of those who, who are LGBTQ+, but also far, far more Christians. Uh, Joe, would you throw up the slide of your questions? These are the questions that you all asked that we did not answer. Uh, we kept them. I'm just going to read them out loud. What if someone who is gay tries to pray it away and it doesn't work? Are they just supposed to marry someone they are not attracted to? So what does family and love look like for someone who is LGBTQ plus? Are they just supposed to go without those things their whole lives? Do you guys expect the LGBTQIA plus community to live alone forever instead of being in love? Should they? Basically, your questions, these ones, get down to this. So what does this mean? What does all of this mean for the Christian who experiences LGBTQ plus desires, inclinations, identities? Like if God has devised marriage to be this monogamous, so one-on-one relationship between a male and a female in covenant with him, and that he has restricted sexual expression to the confines of marriage, then what does that mean for Christians of an LGBTQ plus orientation? Are they just supposed to be alone forever? Is God consigning them to perpetual loneliness? Are they never supposed to have a family or have a committed loving relationship? Are they just supposed to go through the rest of their life alone? And those are really, really, really important questions. They show a desire and a care for the people around you who are LGBTQ plus. But as I said a moment ago, those questions apply to far more Christians than just those who fall into the LGBTQ plus community. Those questions are questions we should be asking on behalf of far more Christians in our midst. We could and should be asking those kinds of questions about a whole range of Christians in our community who, for whatever reason, marriage is not an option for them or is not currently their reality. What about the single mother? Is her only hope for mutual life-giving relationship to find a man? What about the widow in her 70s who now finds herself alone for the first time in over 50 years? Does she just need to get used to it or get remarried? 
What about the young man who desperately wants to be married but it just hasn't worked out yet? Is he just supposed to go and marry any woman with a pulse or else get used to being alone? What about you all? All of you are in high school and being in high school, marriage isn't particularly on the table for any of you right now. So are you just supposed to be lonely or jumping from boyfriend to boyfriend, girlfriend to girlfriend until you finally find the one? And what if you don't? What if it's not God's will for you to be married? What then? Are you condemned to lifelong loneliness? What about those who are married? Marriage does not equal not being lonely. You can be hopelessly lonely while being married, which, spoiler alert, is why marriage is not the solution to any of those above scenarios that I just mentioned. And yes, what about those who experience an LGP life through an LGBTQ plus lens? Questions on loneliness and isolation, questions of family and love, they apply to any Christian who is not married and even to those who are. And so even though you may have not been aware of it, those questions you asked actually have to do with far more Christians than just those who are Christian with an LGBTQ plus experience. I mean, I am so glad that when we're going through this panel or this series, like what stirred in several of your hearts was this deep concern. Like what in the world does this mean for my friend? What does this mean for me? Am I just supposed to be lonely? Are they just supposed to be lonely? And I love that heart. And what I want you to see is we should have that same heart for those in the LGBTQ plus community, but also for any of those around us who would experience loneliness and isolation. And that's what this series is going to begin to talk about. We're going to ask questions like, how are we going to care for one another? What is the solution to loneliness for those who aren't married and never will be? What is the answer if you don't wind up married, or you do wind up married, and then you realize, oh crap. Hope I can say that here. Oh crap. Marriage didn't fix my loneliness issue. How, how do we love and walk with one another in such a way so that no one among us is lonely, whether they're married or whatever life experience they have. In this series, we will begin to answer, answer those questions. And in fact, uh, right now, I just want to answer one right away. And it's the main question many of you all felt during that series that rose up. I'm going to phrase the question this way. Hopefully, it speaks to the questions you guys asked. Does the biblical view of marriage mean that anyone who is not married is left with lifelong loneliness? Does the biblical view of marriage, so one man, one woman, covenanted unto God, mean that anyone who is not married is left with lifelong loneliness? No. That was easy. The harder question is the one we need to ask next. And it's the question that we're going to be wrestling with through this series, and it comes down to the question of, okay, then how so? If marriage isn't the only option to finding love and family not being alone, then what is the other option? How else can those things be found? Like, if they're not only available in marriage, then how does someone who isn't married, how do they find companionship and love and even, fasten your seatbelts, intimacy? The answer, and it's one, once again, that we're going to have to flesh out through this six-week series, is friendship. The Christian answer to the problem of loneliness is not marriage. 
Marriage has many purposes and goals like reproduction, imaging Christ and the church to the world, curbing sexual desire, etc. But solving the problem of loneliness that we all face and know all too well is not what marriage was made for. We often view it that way, but that is not its purpose. Otherwise, people who are married would never get lonely, and that just isn't the case. We often just assume, because God says in Genesis, after making Adam, it is not good that man is alone, and then creates Eve and marries them off. We assume that because that happens, marriage must be the solution to the problem God recognizes in Adam, that it isn't good for him to be alone. But as you go throughout the rest of Scripture, what you find is that marriage is not the actual solution to the problem. Like, the solution isn't just putting on a wedding ring and shacking up with someone and poof, I'm never lonely again. Where marriage seems to solve the loneliness problem we all know, it's actually because it includes another biblical reality, friendship. It's not marriage that solves Adam's loneliness, it's the friendship, it's the companionship with Eve in the marriage that does. So I want to be absolutely clear, because I don't think we get this right in the church very often. The Christian solution, the biblical solution to the problem of loneliness and the answer to all your great questions in the LGBTQ plus series is not marriage. We've been trained to think that it is through TV and even in churches to think that love and intimacy and companionship are only found in marriage. So that must be the solution. And so we rightly raised the questions that we did. But marriage in and of itself isn't the solution, at least not as the Bible sees it. The solution, the place where fulfilling companionship is found, is friendship, whether within or outside of marriage. But maybe that sounds a little weak, like friendship, like, oh, yay, I have a friend. Maybe that doesn't sound super compelling. That's okay. Uh, If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 15, verses 12 through 17 with me. And this is where we'll camp out for the rest of our time. John chapter 15, verse 12 through 17. If you'll follow along with me. This is Jesus speaking. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Jesus says that we are to love one another as he has loved us. And he doesn't just say it, he doesn't just suggest it, he doesn't say it'd be a good idea, he commands it. Verse 12, this is my commandment. Like Jesus is serious about this, that you love one another as I have loved you. And how does he say he's loved us? Verse 13 and 14, greater love has no one than this that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. So in verse 12, Jesus commands we love each other as he does. And then immediately, Jesus presents his love for us as friendship. 
The reason friendship as a solution to the problem of loneliness may sound weak, may sound like a weak answer, is because we think of friendship as thin, as nice if you have it, but not all that special, something we could go without. Like, yeah, everyone has friends and everybody really wants friends, but it's not the like ultimate thing we're after. But the reason friendship seems thin and not that special is because we have a faulty view of what friendship is meant to be and because we've never experienced friendship as Jesus is talking about here. Christ's love for us is not thin. It is not weak. It is not flimsy. The depths of Christ's love for us are fathomless. They can't be searched. The bottom of Christ's love for you cannot be reached because there is not one. And here, Christ says that the greatest love a person can have for someone is to lay their life down for family, a spouse, their children. No. He doesn't use marital or familial language at all. He says, for his friends. And not just any kind of love, greater love has no one than this. Like it does not get more loving than this. The ultimate love anyone can have for one another is self-sacrificial friendship, love. And if Jesus left it at that, then maybe we could just say that friendship love is what Jesus is calling us to, to have for one another. That that's only like what Jesus is calling his disciples to do, is to be friends with one another, which would be a really great thing. Like that would raise friendship up on the like important-o-meter a ton if Jesus just said, hey, y'all be friends with each other. But Jesus goes further. Immediately after saying that laying down one's life for his friends is the greatest love we can have for someone else, he says, you are my friends. Let's look at it just so you see it. 13 and 14 again. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. And so Jesus attaches his own love for us to friendship. He doesn't just say, hey, y'all be friends with one another. He says, I have loved you. I have loved you with a love so deep you cannot imagine it fully. And that is how I want you to love one another. In fact, I don't just want it, I command it. Love one another as I have loved you. And how have I loved you? By making you my friends. The love Christ has for us, that he commands that we have for one another, at least here in this passage, is a friendship love. And so the point I want you to see is this. That when Jesus chooses a word picture to demonstrate the kind of love he wants us to have for one another, that is the same kind of love that he has had for us. He chooses friendship. He doesn't go to marriage. He doesn't go to family. Those realities are elsewhere in the Bible 100% for sure. But here, he goes to friendship. And so friendship really should be this highly esteemed and sought-after thing. And yet, at least in my own life, I treat it as this nice add-on option. Like when I go to the sandwich shop and I ask, like, do you have spicy mustard? And I'm really hoping they do. But if they don't, I'm still going to get the sandwich. Like, and the sandwich is still going to be fine. It just would have been better with spicy mustard. That's how we view friendship. Like if I get friendship, that's great. If I actually have a best friend that lasts for more than three months, that's awesome. But if I don't, I'll find another. Like, I'll still get through life. Like, it'll be okay. 
But if Jesus not only commands it of me, but equates his love for me with it, then friendship ought to be a thing that I care about as much as I care about all the other things Jesus calls me to. Like it's that serious for Jesus and it ought to be for us. And yet I suspect, sadly, that most of us have never experienced this kind of friendship. That even your best friendships are shrouded in self-doubt, fear, and insecurities. That you worry sometimes that at any point this person you're friends with may just stop being your friend altogether. That you'll make a mistake that ends the friendship. That a true color of yours will begin to show that the other person doesn't care for and they drop you. That they'll make the school baseball team or start in band and make friends with people there and they'll forget about you. That when college comes, you'll just drift and never talk again. All of us want this deep vision of friendship that Christ has for us in John 15. We desperately want it, and I would say even need it, whether we are cognizant of that or not. And yet, few of us have ever experienced it. We don't know how to go about it. It sounds amazing, like that sounds awesome, Jesus, but we have our doubts about whether it's actually possible. And even if we believe it's possible and want it, we just don't really know what it looks like. The cool thing is, is that God in his grace has not left us there. He doesn't just give us a command for deep friendship and leave us to figure out what it looks like on our own. He's actually shown us. Throughout the Bible, we see these incredible portraits of friendship. There are these deep robust, holistic relationships that are compelling to watch. Like you look at them and you're like, I want that kind of friendship. I want to be in on that. I want what they're having. There's David and Jonathan, probably the most intimate picture of friendship we get in the Bible. There's Ruth and Naomi, an unconventional friendship for sure, and yet one that demonstrates the commitment the Bible envisions friends to have for one another. There's Paul and Timothy traveling everywhere together, ministering together, facing death together, and they're just two single bros doing ministry. No wives, no families, and they love each other. And then, example of examples, there is Christ and his disciples. Over the course of this series, that's where we're going to go. We're going to spend time looking intently at each of these friendships. <clears throat> in the hopes of seeing what the Bible has in mind with that word, friendship. Like, according to the Bible, what is friendship supposed to look like? What is the level of intimacy I can actually hope to have with someone who is my friend? What does commitment within a friendship look like? How does friendship satisfy these deep longings to not be alone? How does friendship step in for family when we have none? How do we hold each other throughout the rest of our lives, closely and dearly, when we have no one else? Questions like that. Each week, we will take one friendship, and we're going to drill down deep into it to see what we can learn about what godly friendships can look like, what Christ-centered, Christ-saturated friendship is meant to be. And each one will have a different emphasis, they're going to speak to different realities, but they are all going to give us this holistic picture when put together of what friendship we can expect with our fellow believers in Christ. And what we're going to find is that Christ-founded friendship 
is the earthly solution to our loneliness. It is the balm for our weary and lonely souls. It's how God solves the issue he sees right after he creates Adam in Genesis, Genesis 1 when he says it is, not good that man for, to, it, it is not good that man be alone. He still says that over each one of you. It is not good that he or that she is alone. And the solution is not that, well, but one day they'll get married and they'll be okay. No. The solution is Christ-saturated friendship. It is Christ, through the Spirit in each of us, exhibiting his own friendship to us. Married or unmarried, straight or LGBTQ+, 16 or 60 years old, no Christian need be lonely. No Christian need be isolated. No Christian here is what we should say together. Not because there's a chance of marriage, but because of Christ's infused friendship. And what all that entails, we're going to walk through together in this coming series. Would you pray with me? God, you are above our definitions of good. That though we, in our sin, have ruined everything, you and your grace have provided for all of our needs. That you even care so much about us that you want us to have friends. And not flippant friendships that change every month or so, but friendships that last a lifetime, friendships that truly meet the deepest desires of our souls, that you want to love us through each other in friendship. And so we ask as we embark on this series that we would do that, that in our small group times we would be open with each other and honest with each other, that we would begin to be friends in our small groups and begin to be honest about where we're at so that others can come alongside us and hold us up. We ask that you would reveal to us what you're calling us to in friendship through this series. We thank you for your love for us. And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen.